Would you pray with me? Jesus, Lord of both the light and the darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. To you we say, come. Amen. I feel like we ought to take a moment to pray for Ryan downstairs with the children. <laughs> I kid, I'm sure he'll be fine. And if we never do it again, you'll know he wasn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this Advent, we are learning our way together through the words of the prophet Isaiah. Listening to his truth of the world, and where he saw God at work in the midst of his lived reality. Last week, Ryan reflected on Isaiah's description of vivid decimation, the clear-cutting and destruction of a people and their land, inviting us to imagine all the forests between Nanaimo and Courtney as wiped out and burned up, a smoldering wasteland of destruction. But in that desolation, Isaiah saw a tiny green branch awkwardly inching its way to the surface, a symbol of hope, of peace, of a peace to come, a peace that is not just the absence of conflict, a peace of God's making. So these weeks of Advent, we've had promises of hope, of peace, and today, joy. Perhaps it is not a happy accident, if you know me, you know I do not believe in any accidents, that I am preaching today on joy. If you know me, you know that joy is like a geyser inside of me that sometimes bubbles up and bursts out all over the place. But if you know me really well, or you've known me for a really long time, you know that joy is a gift from the Holy Spirit and one that has not always been so prone to bubbling up and spilling out. But that's just it, actually. Isaiah's vision of joy isn't a promise of immediate jubilation, a quick fix, a snap of the almighty fingers to restore laughter and mirth. It's a vision of a future joy that is coming but it's not yet. That is the tension of Advent. We are a people that seek hope, that seek peace, that seek joy in a world where they are not fully realized. Advent is that time of year when we sit in that in-between place, between what is and what is yet to be. And if we listen closely to today's reading, we can recognize that Isaiah holds these together in a beautiful and poetic way. These are visions of joy, to be sure, but we would be wise to slow down in each of these verses to understand more deeply what he means. You see, two things are actually wound together here. 
in his revelations about God's promises of bounty and safety and flowing water, Isaiah cleverly reveals to us the reality of the now, interweaving the desolation of the present with God's vision of joy for the future. And so in order for us to fully realize the powerful promises, we're going to pull apart the now and the not yet, and then we're going to bring them back together. So Isaiah starts with an image of an arid desert, one that he carries on through most of the reading. This is their reality. There's no life here, no food, no water, no hope. Their land is completely parched. He also speaks of wilderness. Remember, this is Palestinian wilderness, not the lush rainforests here on the BC coast. Theirs is a rocky, desolate, risky place. In these places, there is drought, and all the land and its inhabitants suffer. Survival is precarious, and those few living things who manage to hang on fight over the very limited resources to carry on. He speaks of jackals prowling about, ravenous beasts circling. The preceding chapters of Isaiah remind us that not only are these places barren, they are scorched by fire and scarred from the ravages of war. Some of the landscape is still burning around them. So this may be the physical landscape that surrounds Isaiah, but it also speaks to the interior life of his people. They are parched, bare, desolate, desperate. All are suffering. There is no extra. There is barely enough to survive. He tells of a people whose knees are trembling, whose weak hands falter. Fear and anxiety threaten to overtake them, and from that place of terror, of loss, of despair, they are divided. People against people, hatred and horror engulfing them. And so they are left, disfigured, maimed, broken. Fast forward a couple thousand years and these images, these fears don't seem so ancient. We too are a people divided. Political systems are breaking apart and even in stable countries, the gulf between the two sides seems only to be growing. Research tells us that all over the world we're becoming more polarized and separated from our neighbors allowing our political affiliations to shape our social circles and beyond, fueling a greater distrust of those who disagree with us. The left moves further left and the right further right, and we're so far away from each other that we can't even carry on a conversation. We hide behind screens and blast others whose rhetoric chafes against our own. We too are a people whose knees are trembling, whose weak hands falter. The National, Repo the National Post reported that not only are more than half of all Canadians struggling with anxiety and depression, but also that we are becoming undone en masse by the almost 
maniac collective striving for something. And the ways we're seeking relief are causing warlike decimation. Thousands of people in BC are overdosing each month, and our community is far from immune for, to it. Last month, the Comox Valley surpassed Campbell River in the proportion of deaths from overdose. We too are a people whose landscape is burning. The Alberta wildfires touched many of us personally as family and friends scrambled for safety. We will not soon forget these images that filled our televisions, nor the crackling and screaming coming through our speakers. We too are a people who so clearly see the fight for simple survival all around us. UNICEF reports that around the world, approximately 3.1 million children die each year from undernutrition, and that 2 billion people each year suffer from micronutrient deficiency. The planet is warming, the polar ice is melting, and survival of all life on the planet is threatened. How can we possibly stand in this grim reality, surrounded by the saccharine sweet melodies of overplayed verses of Frosty, the twinkling of the lights and glitter of everything decorated, and the promise of perfection on the Hallmark Channel? This is the tension of Advent. And if that were all I had to say today, if that were the end of the story, if that were all Isaiah could muster, it would be very grim indeed. I was listening this week to the Christmas song, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. And the second verse struck me as though I was hearing it for the very first time. O ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. If that were all I had to say today, if that were the end of the story, if that were the end of that verse, it would be very grim indeed. But that isn't all I have to say today. It's not the end of the story, and it's not the end of that verse. Yes, Advent begins in the dark. It begins in despair and anguish and fear. It begins in the reality of where we are. But it does not end there. The Bible is relentless in its conviction that nothing that is skewed, distorted, deathly need remain as it is. God's power and passion converge to make total newness possible. God's promises work against our exhaustion, our despair, our sense of hopelessness. This is the tension of Advent. Listen to the rest of this hymn. Look now, now. 
Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Surrounded by barren sand and burning wilderness, Isaiah tells his people of God's promise of blossoms covering the desert. Life, color, unnecessary beauty. The ground will erupt with such a fervor it will be like the crocuses are singing the glory of God. And in God's generosity and flourishing, God's love will be revealed. God's care for all of creation will be known without a doubt. In the midst of Isaiah's revealing of the truth of the pain of the world are these ridiculous and rich, almost unfathomable images of restoration. Weak hands strengthened. Feeble knees made firm, fears cast out through the redeeming power of God's love. Here's your God, Isaiah says. Here's your God, and here's what it will look like when God shows up. It will look like open eyes of the blind. It will look like unstopped ears of the deaf. It will look like the lame not only picking up their mat to walk, but leaping in jubilation like a deer. It will look like the voiceless, not only finding their voice, but singing, singing, singing with joy, singing with freedom, as the fires around them give way to cool pools and streams of refreshing, living water. What extravagant promises, lavish, opulent. I wonder if how the people heard them. Maybe they hung on his every word because his word was their only hope. Maybe they dared to believe. Maybe the people scoffed at Isaiah's prophecy. Maybe they wrote down his words to preserve a glimmer of hope, if not for themselves, then for generations to come, in the implausible possibility that maybe he was right. This is the tension of Advent, because we know what comes next. We know the truth of Isaiah's words because we have seen eyes opened, we have heard the songs of the free. This is the work of God in Christ, whose coming we are once again awaiting. These are the stories of grace and mercy that make up the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is in the life and ministry of Jesus that these enormous expectations take on a physical body, and the promise becomes real. Jesus opens up the gateway for life to begin again. He opened the gate and removed the toll at the great highway that Isaiah promises, the highway, the holy way, a place of safety and everlasting joy for everyone. A way where no one goes astray 
not even fools like you and me. This is the joy of Advent. God is here and God is coming. God is present in the dry and barren places of our life, awaiting us in renewal and restoration and salvation. God makes a way out of no way. So each year we step heavily through the Advent season, feeling our place in that gap between what has begun and what is not yet complete. This is the place where we take our time and lean into the reality of human pain and suffering, embracing the harsh reality and hopelessness that Jesus comes again and again to free us from. Advent helps us lean into that deep place in our guts that knows things aren't right and yearns for God's action. And so, we direct our lives towards God's opulent, extravagant promises of healing and beauty, safety and jubilation. We affirm God's work even now, as we are surrounded by burning forests, melting ice, and war-ravaged children, and feel like our burdens are too much to bear. We proclaim in the midst of it that God is at work setting the world free, not in acts of mighty power and force, but rather in ways that confound and shock us. God is at work in crocus blossoms. God is at work in full bellies. God is at work in choral songs and in the joyful gurgles of a brand new baby on whose birth we await. Amen. <laughs>